say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. You need another chance. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo, and oh my goodness, do we have an amazing show? It's a, it's just a, it's an amazing show. I'm telling you today, but the first time ever, first time ever, have I got on this show a Navy SEAL. I'm, I, it's the first time ever, and I am so stinking stoked about it. His name is Captain John Havlick, and I am telling you this book he has got out, co-written with Bill Treasure, a friend of the show, is called The Leadership Killer. The Leadership Killer, Reclaiming Humility in an Age of Arrogance. Folks, get it. Get it. Get it now. Go go to Amazon. Go to your favorite bookstore. Okay, don't go to your favorite bookstore. But how about ordering it from your favorite bookstore and getting a copy of this book? I I have highlighted it. I have dog-eared it. I have taken notes on it. I have pages and pages of notes. This book is absolutely outstanding. And I don't care. And as 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 and as as Coach, we call uh, Captain John uh, Coach. As as he as they say in this book, you know what? You know who this is for? If you're an aspiring leader, this book is for you. If you're currently a leader, this book is for you. If you're an experienced leader, this book is for you. But you know who else this book is for? This book is for anybody who just needs to improve because this book, is, I just think, is just one of the best books all around. It has spoken to my life. It will speak to your life. I promise it will. So you need to get yourself a copy of this book. He's going to be great and outstanding, and uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I can't be more excited. But let's do what we do every week, and you know what that is, right? I walk you through the four areas of your life. I believe that we are four-part people. By the way, so does, so does uh, Captain John, uh, Coach Havlick. He believes that four-part people were physical people, were mental people, were emotional people, and were spiritual people. And he believes the exact same thing. And, and so I'm going to walk you through these four areas of your life because here's what I know. That when uh, all four of those areas in our life are working well, you know what happens? We work well as we work even better, right? So let's let's walk through each one. A scale of one to ten, one being miserable, ten being outstanding. Let's talk about you physically. How are you doing physically, right? What do I mean? Are you eating right? Are you getting some exercise? Captain uh, Coach is going to talk about the exercise because he's an exercise fanatic, just like I am. I love exercise. Got some in, by the way. Got some in today. Can't go to the gym, but you know what? I got bands. I got balls. I got all sorts of things to get my exercise in. Took a nice, brisk two-mile walk, you know, even with the pollen, you know, just get it in, right? You know, so you could do things. You don't have to be in the gym to exercise. So how is your exercise regimen? How are you eating? How is your water intake? How is your sleep? You know, all of those things are part of your physical part of yourself. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being miserable, 10 being outstanding, what, what number would you give yourselves out there today, right? 5 is average. 8 is great, right? All right, and then there's two questions I'm going to ask each one of these. First question is, why are you that number? And then the second question is, what can you do right now to improve on that number? All right? So there's your first number. All right, second number, the mental number. Right. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is what are you consuming in your brain? You know, how are you consuming information that is helpful to you, that is growing you in knowledge and wisdom and understanding? What are you consuming to make sure that you're actually growing, that you're challenging your mental part of your life? Right. What are you doing to challenge it? Right. 
Are you just, are you, I mean, really challenging. I mean, books like this, you know, books like the, the Leadership Killer are great to challenge your mind, challenge your thinking, challenge your wisdom, challenge your, you know, how that mental part of you is working, right? On a scale of one to 10, how would you say that that's going for you, right? Five's average, right? Same two questions. Why are you that number? And then what can you do to improve it? All right. So we got two numbers. We got a physical number and mental number. Third number is our emotional number. And what we mean by the emotional number is, you know, we, we'll talk a lot about emotional IQ or we'll talk emo, a lot about emotional quotients, things like that. But what, what I really want to do is I want to ask you, and this is a real important question right now at this time in our lives, and that is, under stress, how well are you able to control your emotions? One, that's the first part. And then the second piece is, under stress, how well are you actually able to tap into the emotions of other people and be able to communicate back to them? We call that empathy, okay? How well are you able to do those two things? Simplify it emotionally, right? The fact of the matter is, emotions are intention, right? You can you you have complete and total control of your emotions. Somebody cannot make you feel anything. You choose your response. So the question now becomes, how are you doing with choosing your responses? On a scale of one to ten, five being average, eight being great. What's your number? Why is it that number? And then what can you do right now to change that number to improve it? All right, and then the fourth area, and that's the spiritual area, right? And a lot of people ask me, what does that mean? Well, if you, here, I'll, I'll make it real simple. If you remove the physical, the mental, and the emotional, it's everything that's left. It's the thing that keeps you centered. It's the thing that brings us peace. It's the thing that brings you joy. I didn't say happiness, I said joy. It's that one thing, it's that something that you can rely on, that even though you may not be able to see it, you know it's there. You know, for some people, it's God. For some people, it's nature. For some people, it's meditation. Whatever that may be, what is that thing that you have faith in that brings you back to center? And then I'm going to ask the question a little bit differently in this area. How's that working for you? What do you need to do to change it? What do you need to do to improve it? Right? So you have four numbers, right? You have a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual number, right? And you need to think of those four numbers as the legs of a chair, and what, you, what we know about the legs of a chair, right? If the chair is crooked and you have to sit, it, sit in it for a long period of time, it just really messes up your posture. And over time, it's going to hurt you. Same thing is true as if the chair is too low. So if all four of those areas are too low in your life, what happens is you're sitting on a low floor and that's not getting you where you need to be. So the whole idea is to bring those legs of that chair up evenly balanced and be able to um, live the life that you were intended to live. And, and, uh, that's, that's our areas. And you know what? Let's, let's talk about somebody who has, who's living a life and helping people live the life that they're intended to live. His name is Captain John Coach Havlick, uh, U.S. Navy retired. He retired from the Navy in 2014 after 31 years of distinguished service in the Naval Special Warfare SEAL community. He has served on all SEAL teams on both coasts, including the famed SEAL Team 6. Coach enlisted in the Navy in 1982 and was subsequently assigned to the United States Naval Academy as an assistant swim coach and physical education instructor. 1984 was commissioned as Naval Officer via the Officer's Candidate School. He successfully completed basic underwater demolition SEAL training in 85. His military assignments have included a full range of duties in SEAL teams around the world. Uh, he's commanded several teams and all deployments all over the world. He graduated uh, studies in Naval War um, College in Newport, Rhode Island, and uh, where he has his master's in National Security and Strategic Studies. 
He graduated from West Virginia University with a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration. He was a member of the men's swim team for four years. His swimming career is highlighted by, by the fact that he was the first swimmer in West Virginia University school history to uh, qualify for the U.S. Olympic trials. Uh, he, he also, by the way, uh, was the tri-captain of the first undefeated men's swim team in school history. Uh, and he has in, been inducted into the West Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. He is currently special advisor to Giant Leap Consulting and regularly speaks about leadership. And he works as a it works with teams that undergoing arduous and stressful conditions. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and welcome to a new direction, Coach John Havlick. Welcome to our show. Hey Jay, thanks very much. Uh, great intro and. A lot of pressure on me now. This, if I'm the first seal, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. hopefully I won't be the last. No, no, know, no, so. no. I, I, I got more coming up, believe it or not. <laughs> but you're the first one. You're the first one. I, I, you're the very first one that, um, that, that, that I've had on the show. And I really, you know, Jocko Willink has, uh, you know, done such an amazing job when he wrote his uh, book, Extreme Ownership, and he's brought a lot of positive attention to the seal community. And of course, that has been helpful, and um, uh, for I think all of you in terms of what he's done for you know bringing a lot of attention to the Navy SEALs. I mean, not that they needed any more attention, but certainly he's done that. And um, so I'm very honored and privileged to have you on the show. And so thank you for agreeing to do it. I, I could not be uh, seriously, I could not be more excited to have you on the show. So oh, thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. Um, so the book, the Leadership Killer, which is what we're going to talk about today. I, I did open up in, in the introduction here. I said the, you wrote in the introduction, this book is for the aspiring, emerging, and experienced leader and aims to ensure that he or she uses his or her power in a way that provides the maximum benefit to the people that are charged with leading. And then you go on in the introduction and you and Bill say, this book is more of a don't do this book. <laughs> let's yeah. let's talk about let's talk about that for a second. What do you mean by this book is more of a don't do this book? Well, I mean we the basis of why we wrote the book was we used to talk all the time, uh, almost on a weekly basis, about uh, articles we read or things we saw in the news about leaders who um, just did stupid things and uh, just were clearly out of the boundaries of you know good ethical leadership and so um we 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 just kept talking one day and uh we were prepping for uh, bill bill has been very gracious in allowing me to talk at his workshops and seminars around the country and we've done several together and we were prepping for one and he just said uh he goes you know i'm thinking about writing a fifth book you want a co-author i said absolutely so uh it took us a while to kind of whittle down what we wanted to write about but uh when we kind of looked at everything that went, what we wanted, you know, why write another leadership book? What was the message we wanted to send? And we just felt that, uh, you know, when we kind of looked at it, that uh, hubris and or uh, superego is what really kind of makes good leaders go bad. And so um, that's kind of the basis behind the, the intro there is, uh, you know, your own ego, your own way you uh, lead can take you down the dark path if you're not careful. Yeah, so I want us to talk about this before we get into some of the media. There's something in this that kind of struck me as I was reading this book and I read it from stem to stern and I, I 
something struck me. There was at first when I started reading the book, I think the danger for people is that they're going to start picking out, oh, that's that person, or, oh, that that describes that person, or this describes that person. But the the truth of the book, and this is where this is where it hit home, is if I'm pointing fingers at everybody else, I really need to apply this book back to me. It's not really about trying to find somebody else, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we didn't, Bill and I wrote about our own experiences with hubris and and uh, so we didn't, if we were going to write a bio book about it, then we need to share our own hubristic stories. And so uh, so Bill talks about his, and, and then I really highlight mine in chapters five and six about, you know, how hubristic I got as a young junior officer. And uh, and uh, it kind of bit me in the butt, you know, and uh, but I recovered. I used it. I got smart on it and uh, recovered and went on and uh, – you know, grad or retired with a 31 years, you know, which I never thought I was going to do. So uh, we share our own stories, but uh, you know, if you're going to finger point, you got to be ready to talk about your own uh, <laughs> fallacy. So don't, uh, and I got to correct you on your terminology. You said stem to stern. If we're going to do nautical, let's just go bow to stern. How oh, about bow to stern. Okay. I don't, okay. why do we, why do we say stem to stern? Why has that always been something that we've said? I have no clue. But I mean, I, right? I, I mean, everybody says it. I've always had that in my head, stem to stern, but it's actually really bow to stern, right? It really is bow to stern. I think about it. You're right. You know, it is bow to stern. And who would know better than you would? Right. <laughs> As a matter of fact. So I did my best to stay off a ship, but I did learn that, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> so let's let's talk about hubris uh, a little bit. And let's talk about what it is really. I mean, you've given us a little bit of it, but... You talk, you both talk about in the book that hubris kills mission, morale, performance, loyalty, ethics, reputation, and ultimately legacy. Let's let's talk about that a little bit and, and what hubris is and then why is it such a killer? Well, to me, uh, if hubris is uh, just supreme arrogance and or a supreme superego and uh the way I look at it is, and I, where I saw examples of it throughout, not not just in the military, but uh, you know, I like you mentioned earlier in swimming, and so I saw it in coaching, I saw it in the pool uh, as an athlete and as a coach. Uh, um, it's that super arrogance, it's that super uh, that I'm better than everybody else, and uh, you know, you you tend to worry more about the individual gains instead of the collective gains or what's good for the company or the unit or what's good for the mission. And that tends to take uh, precedence over everything else. And so my, when I, when I think of hubris, I always thought of the leaders that uh, they never came out publicly, but it was almost hey, do what I say, not what I do. And I saw a lot of that in the military and, uh, and I, tried to use that as an example of the leader that I didn't want to be. And, uh, and that's, that's how I define hubris and how it affects leadership. Uh, because it naturally start when you th- only think about yourself you, and your own self-importance, your own self-worth, then you tend to forget about uh, the people that work for you. That destroys uh, morale because 
they know you really don't care about them. And so why should I come in every day at work with a great attitude, bust my butt just to make you look good when you don't care about me? And, uh, and I tried real hard to not do that when I was in charge. And, uh, and that just came from years and years of experience of seeing it in action. So hopefully that answered your question. Well, so let, let, let's, let's look at some of these. You described the mission, the morale. How does hubris kill performance? Well, it again, if, if the workers see that you know they're busting their butt for you and making you look good and you don't reward them or recognize the efforts that they put into them, and it's only about you, you know, right. it's, it's great. Anybody can be a leader when it's sunny and outside. <laughs> but, you know, real leadership, and I think we're kind of seeing it in action right now, is when things are bad, you right. know. And or un, when you have adversity and you have to kind of swallow your ego and, and think about the masses and, and not yourself. And so um, when people when people see that, you know, why should I, you know, I've worked for leaders before. I, I gave them hard work. I, I gave them great advice and they just kind of blew me off and didn't care about me as a person. Uh, naturally, I think you kind of start questioning, well, why should, why should I do more for this individual if they don't care for me? Why, why do I want to, you know, work hard? Hey, I'll just do what I have to get my paycheck, go home, you know? Mm. And, uh, I think that's where hubris defeats the performance level. So, uh, we're talking with, uh, uh, Captain John Coach. He calls himself, uh, Havlick, uh, He's a former, uh, well, I don't know if there's such a thing as former. He's a U.S. Navy SEAL, retired. There's no such thing as former. And uh, he's written, the, he's co-written this book with a friend of the show, uh, Bill Treasure. It's also, it's called The Leadership Killer. It is absolutely fantastic. You can get this book uh, on Amazon or order it from any bookstore near you. One of the things, John, I loved about this book was at the end of each chapter, just so that the people know kind of what they're getting, you have Coach's Tip. And I'm, I'm assuming that this is, these are your tips that these, that you're coming from. And I'm, I'm, is that a correct assumption? First of all, I want to make sure that. Yeah. When Bill and I were decided on writing the co-authoring the book, you know, he, he did a lot of the heavy leg work on the writing. Uh, he, I wrote my two chapters and then, you know, we kind of, you know, his, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the chapter work is about corporate learning and business like this. But I thought, hey, look, you know, why not just end each chapter with coaches tips? And I just to use the moniker, so to speak. And uh, and then what I tried to do was the theme of the chapter. I tried to relate a story uh, or experience that I had during my career that hopefully emphasized the point of the of the chapter. So in chapter one, one of the coaches, the coach's tip is, and I'm interested to know what you, what maybe more specifically, you said the coach's tip is some of the best leadership lessons are gained by working for a bad leader, which makes me (laughs) assume that you worked for a bad leader. So can you give us an example of some lessons you learned working for a bad leader? And you don't have to mention any names, but I mean, give us an idea of what that bad leader looked like. And then what were some of the lessons you learned? Um, well, the big one I, I think I already kind of commented about is they were, I, uh, you know, I, again, I'm, I worked for a lot of great leaders first off. So, but I did work for some bad ones or ones that I didn't think were, uh, performing at the right level. And then what I basically took away from them is, uh, 
they, the theory of do what I say, not what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't very open to um, helping you grow as a, especially when I was a junior officer, you know, I, when I write in the book that probably the one thing I wish I did that I didn't do was get a mentor, you know, when I was very young so that I could, you know, bounce ideas or career advice or just random thoughts off somebody probably in the SEAL community or some maybe somebody senior in the Navy that could help me as I went along my career. And I didn't do that very well because I just didn't really experience a lot of people that I trusted enough or I thought I respected enough to, you know, offer that advice. So, so that was, uh, that was the big thing was do as I, you know, do as I say, not what I do. Um, recognizing people not recognizing people for jobs well done and uh, it's publicly and, and that's hard to do. And I worked for some great leaders that could stand up in front of an audience and, or a group of sailors or uh, army or wherever we were and could recognize people and thank them for the job. Even my house, however small it was, it's, it's a fine art that a lot of leaders don't have that when they say, thank you, people, know they mean it you know and that's and I watched guys who did it really well and I said god I hope I can do that because that's that's a great quality not a lot of leaders can't do it some just feel like it's a check off you know and I got to say this because I have to you know and they people don't you know people kind of know when you mean it and when you don't mean it and um, I think the other thing was uh I saw a lot of when things went bad they like to finger point or put the blame on somebody else. And what I liked about the Navy, um, when being a commanding officer is when you're a commanding officer, uh, you have total responsibility and total authority and the onus is on you, whatever, whatever happens. And I, I was, I grew up watching, uh, commanding officers, you know, they'd be on a ship and, uh, ship ran aground, uh, not for whatever reason. You know, the guy may be asleep, the CEO's asleep at two o'clock in the morning and he trusts his people that he leaves on watch to do things safely in the right way. And it, you know, something happens, an accident happens and that commanding officer was gone, whether, you know, and you're like, geez, well, he can't stay up 24, 7, 365 days, you know, during his command tour. He's got to get some sleep. He's got to get some rest. But, um, but that was it, you know, so that's kind of the culture I was brought in that, you know, when you're in charge, you're, it's absolute. So when things go, you know, like I said, it's easy to be a leader when it's sunny outside and things are going great. You can accept the praise, but you also have to be ready to accept when things go wrong and take the onus of, yeah, it's, I'm in charge. It's my bust. I'll go on. And I saw a lot of people who liked to deflect that away from them. Um, and I didn't, and I tried to use that as I groomed my leadership style. That's awesome. His name is Captain John Coach. Havlick and the book is entitled The Leadership Killer and he's with us here on A New Direction. Hey, you know New Direction has a couple sponsors and they've been with us for a long time and we are so grateful for them. First one is Epic Physical Therapy and listen, whether you're recovering from an injury or surgery, suffering everyday aches and pains or having difficulty performing activities of daily living or unable to perform athletic activities, maybe you're an especially elite athlete, look, maybe you just want to improve how you move and feel. The, the, the folks at Epic Physical Therapy, well, they are the elite team. 
they will provide you with a customized treatment plan tailored to your individual needs. With their experience in rehabbing young athletes to elite professionals, they understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. So if you want epic relief, epic recovery, or epic results, you know what? You need to go to Epic Physical Therapy, and you can learn more by going to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And, of course, Linda Craft and Team Realtors, no matter where you're at in the world, Linda Craft and her team can help you find the right real estate professional to help you either sell your home or buy your home. And the reason why they can do that is they are independently owned and operated, and they do not belong to any national company. And for 35 years, they've been developing relationships one at a time so that they have this amazing network worldwide where they can literally find the right realtor, the right professional for you. They have been known for 35 years as the legends of customer service. And you know what? It's not something they say. It's what's said about them. So why not learn more about those legends of customer service? Why not learn more about Linda Craft and her team? So you can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here with uh, the book, uh, Leadership Killer, uh, here on A New Direction, uh, with Captain John Havlick, otherwise known as Coach. And he's been so gracious to give us his time here today to, to talk about the book. Uh, let's move into Chapter 2, because Chapter 2 seems to be a, a hinge pin for us on the killer within. And uh, it talks about the Cherokee lesson of the two wolves. And that we have two wolves inside of us. Um, you know, what, let's talk about the two wolves. What are the two wolves? Uh, you want me to answer that? Yeah, Jay? yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Well, you know, when we wrote about it, it's it's, it's the legend of uh, you have a good wolf and a bad wolf inside of you. And, you know, the story is well, how, you basically it's what wolf do you feed the most? And so uh, you have to be. I think this story might, you know, when I think of that story, I, uh, the takeaway I get is you have to realize uh, you have to do, you have to self-evaluate yourself of what, what are your good habits and what are your bad habits? What do you have to continuously feed? Because you can feed, if you can continuously feed the bad, you're, you're going to, you're not going to be a good person. You're not going to be a good leader, not going to be a good husband, anything like that. And so you have to be aware of, you know, your strengths and what your weaknesses are. Try to improve on those weaknesses, but highlight your strengths. And, and you have to ultimately make the decision of what wolf do you want to feed. Mm. What, what do you mean by that? Let's talk about that a little bit further. What do you mean by what wolf are we going to feed? Well, I mean, if you, if, uh, you have to highlight your strengths. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, if you like to have people around you that are yes people, um, then you have to surround yourself with yes people, and uh, but they may they may cover for you. They may not recognize it, or you may not realize that you're doing some things wrong. And so, um, you know, are you? What are your values? What are, you know? Do you value integrity? Uh, if if you do, then you have to feed that on a daily basis. If uh, if you're more about self indulgence and your own hubristic. Uh, growth or uh, your own hubristic goals in life, then then you're going to feed those goals and sacrifice others. So um, you have you have to evaluate yourself. You have to find your positive traits, your negative traits. You can utilize both 
towards becoming a good leader. Yeah, but I, you, yeah, I think one of the things you said. Well, I think one of the things that you know you both say in the book is you know you kind of you kind of have to feed them both. In, yes. In 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 a sense, you you can't. But you got to feed them right, <laughs> because if you feed one more than the other, you're actually, you know, you're actually dissuading away from your your leadership. Because if you starve one, I mean, you actually kind of need the aggressive wolf, right? I mean, we do need the aggressive wolf on one side, and yeah, we need that kind, gentler, um, good wolf, you know, on one side. We need that one too. But you just can't lead with just one. There actually has to be a kind of a combination of assertiveness and confidence and aggressiveness. But at the same time, there has to be empathy and kindness. And um, and I think you call it walking the deck plates, you know, where you where you where where where, where you are, you know, really paying attention to the people that you, you got to get from behind your desk. I think at one point you talk about in the book that, you know, you've got to feed that side of the wolf, too in order to keep the other side in check. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I say, I'll, I'll tell anybody who listens to me that the best thing I ever did as a leader was uh, learn to push away from my desk and go out and talk to my people, you know, walk the deck plate, so to speak. And that's, that's where the work is, the actual work is done. And that's where my sailors were. And that's where I got the best and most honest feedback. Uh, and I, and it made me, it made me to a, a better leader. And I did that mainly because uh, I was, I found out when I was in a leadership, you know, a high leadership position that, you know, I was hearing through the grapevine that uh, leadership at this command doesn't know what's going on. And, and I was like, and I used to say that when I was a young junior officer. So all of a sudden I started hearing it. And I'm like, oh my God, they're talking about me. Hmm. What, what am I missing? You know, what, what don't I get? And, and I, and I was kind of finding – this took time to develop, but I kind of found that uh, I was putting guidance out, and and my middle managers, my department heads uh, would kind of filter what they wanted to put out, or they would tell their people their interpretation of what I said or maybe not even say anything, you know. And so the, the information flow was kind of getting filtered in the wrong direction, up and down the chain of command. And so I took the opportunity to uh, – Every Friday, we did uh, in the Navy. We do have a thing called a field day, and that's uh, where you clean the workspaces. And the executive officer, the number two guy at the command, walks around, checks for cleanliness, and and then lets everybody go for liberty on the weekend. And I took that opportunity because that was my job, and so I I took several hours every Friday to just go out and you know yeah I. I was supposed to check for cleanliness, but uh, but I went out and I really took it as an opportunity to meet my people, which was hard for me because I'm kind of quiet, you know, and uh, I, I know it may seem hard to believe, but I'm a little bit uh, stoic in my personality. <laughs> and uh, so I had to open myself up, you know, and I had to kind of throw myself out there. And, and uh, because when the EXO normally works walks into a workspace it's not for he's not there to tell you what a great job you're doing it's usually you know there the xo at a unit is kind of the bad cop the, the commanding officer is a good cop you know so the co tells people when they do good stuff the xo kind of job is to tell them when they're doing bad stuff so when the xo is walking around everybody seems to run away or hide and stuff so when i came down and did it it was 
it was really uncomfortable for people, you know, to have me in the space. But here I am, like, trying to be their buddy or not so much your buddy, but just kind of learn more about them. And uh, when I first started doing it, it was a little uncomfortable. And people were, you know, what does this guy want for me, you know? And, uh, but I continued to do it, you know, and I, and I just, every, I made committed to it. And then I did it and I did it regularly when I was in town, I did it. And people after my people, my sailors after a while, start recognizing the fact that, you know, here comes the XO and they kind of waited around to talk to me and I used the opportunity to learn from them what I didn't know. And, and I was surprised at how much I didn't know. And I think that's a true, you know, what it helped me is when you get in a leadership position, you tend to think, you know, everything, or you think, you know, everything. And I use these walks as to kind of highlight how much I really didn't know and, uh, and how much, People responded more positively when they had the opportunity to teach me or offer up suggestions towards improvement or a better way of doing executing the policy, and uh, and that's that's how I used it. And so that really built a it worked a great rapport up with my sailors that uh, um, I got honest feedback from them that I wasn't getting from my middle managers or department heads that was kind of being filtered through the you know through their own filters of what really needs to go up and down the chain of commands. So, um, so that really helped me, um, with my wolves of kind of highlighting again, I didn't, I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. And mm -hmm. so kind of humbled me or definitely humbled me. And, but it made me a better leader because, um, I, I got smarter and I started thinking more instead of just myself and a selected audience that I, that I thought about the whole command, the masses, you know, who I'm leading, what, what every decision, how it affected them, even down to the lowest ranking sailor. And I, and I think the people really respected that. And so when I, so I tried to incorporate that in every tour I did until I retired. And I, and I try to offer that as a tip for suggestion for, you know, when I talk to folks or in workshops and seminars of, you know, you got to open yourself up as a leader and you got to, you have to open yourself up, be vulnerable. And, you know, because what I, what I used to get is I, I got a lot of positive feedback. I also got negative feedback and you got to really kind of watch out for that because, uh, uh, you can, you, you can get mad at it, you know, like, Oh, you're calling me an idiot. Well, they didn't call me an idiot, but sometimes, sometimes they would say, sir, you know, you're not, you're not seeing the big picture. And I'm like, okay, well tell me what, what I'm missing, you know? And, and, and they would tell me, you know, professionally. Right. But, but again, it was, it was a great opportunity and the best thing I ever did as a leader to go down push away from my desk, leave, leave every, whatever cell phone was back there in the 1990s and, and just talk with people. And, and, and I, I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn about the people that I was leading and I thought it was a great opportunity for me. And, and I was, and, and I tried, like I said, I tried to carry it on, but it, it told me the good and the bad of what, you know, what I was doing right. But when I was trying to change policy and I know this is a long winded answer, okay. But, you know, everybody talks about culture change. I always hear this, we're doing a culture change. Okay, well, 
I think the best way of affecting a culture change is going out and talking to the people that's really going to have to execute the the culture that you're trying to change. And then I was able to explain what I wanted to do, why we were doing it and get their feedback, you know, because ultimately they had to execute what I wanted changed and, or, and, uh, they told me how to do it better or how it wouldn't work. And so I would take that feedback and every walk I would go up and I'd talk to the CEO right afterwards. And I'd say, this is what I got from the walkabout. And, uh, and it really helped. Um, I think it really smoothed things out at the command and, uh, helped us to kind of get on the same sheet of music. And because ultimately we, we're executing the commanding officer's policies. And so he wants to know what's working and what's not working. So I thought it was a great tool. It was really good, but it was hard to do mm-hmm. it first. And as a leader, you really have to be comfortable in your position that you're not always going to get positive feedback. And to make it effective and you want honest, you have to accept it. Okay, got it. I appreciate it. And then uh, go on. If you if you jump on somebody or call them an idiot or you don't know what you're talking about, then you've just destroyed everything you that rapport you're trying to build. So long-winded answer. That's that's what I did. Yeah. So so one of the things you talk about in your coach's tip is you right before it you say the truth is being or becoming a good leader takes hard work, persistent effort, and grappling with all shades of your human nature, especially the wolf parts. And, and you talk about that and then you say, you talk about the tip. One of the tip is you need to list out the positive qualities of each of your roles and get to know them on a more personal level. And that sounds like that's what kind of happened once you pushed away from the desk was that you learned about, uh, because it was hard work to make that change because it's not something you were naturally comfortable with, right? No, I, I'm horrible in public. And then, so your first question is, well, why are you doing public speaking? <laughs> so, so, you know, so there's, that's, that's a continual challenge that I'll face for the rest of my life, but I've gotten a lot better. But I, when I realized when I was, when I was a leader, you know, and I, when I was in a platoon, um, when I got to be an exec op, operations officer, when I got, you know, the natural progression up the chain of uh, the organization organizational chain of command in the Navy that, you know, that I was the public figure and that, and then I slowly had to realize that every word I said, every action I did was watched and evaluated. And it took, kind of took me a little bit to get into that, uh, to remember that. But what, you know, my bad wolf was that I just wasn't very comfortable in public and uh, and like I said, I'm pretty stoic, and folks that know me, even my, bre- my best friends will tell you that it can be really hard to get to know me, And but once once we get that common bus- bond or rapport going, then it's, then you'll say, God, I wish I don't know him, you know, so. Oh, stop. So I, uh, stop it. No, so I, uh, so I recognized that my bad wolf was, uh, I have to be better in public. And so I did things to put myself more into the public to work on my speaking. Cause ultimately when you're in public as a leader, whatever you say, you have to have the confidence to put it out so that people believe and will execute what you want to do. 
And I had to learn that. And I wasn't very good at it because if you're stumbling up there as a leader, nobody's going to buy into. They're going to tune you out in about 10 seconds. Mm. And so I had to get, I had to put myself into those positions where I had to go out there with a message. I had to, I had to put it across confidently. I had to get people to buy into this. And, and that was hard. But what that walkabout, doing that walkabout and learning and you know, establishing the rapport and the trust of my sailors really helped me and helped me as a leader to grow, get more confident as a leader, as a public speaker. Uh, and when I had to make a hard decision, I was better at it. We're talking with uh, John. Havlick, Captain John Havlick, he calls himself coach. It's, well, actually, he doesn't call himself, he does call himself coach, but other people call him coach too. The book is entitled The Leadership Killer, and it is absolutely fantastic. Reclaiming Humility in the Age of Arrogance. Uh, by the way, it's not a, it's not a long read. It is actually a very, it's a very quick read, but it is powerfully chock full of all sorts of great information that is going to help you uh, become a better leader. But I would even say beyond that, it's going to make you a better person. And that's, I think that was the thing that is most powerful about this book, Leadership Killer. And, and John is with us here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, you know what? We, we, we've got two great sponsors with this show, New Direction. They've been with us for so long. We are so grateful for them. And so when I, when I talk about these sponsors, it's, it's not that I'm talking about them. Yes, I'm, I'm plugging them. But at the same time, I really need you to go reach out to them, find them on Facebook, find their pages, and just say thank you for sponsoring the show. You know, um, you know, it does cost money to put on a show, and it it and they are so gracious to to do that. So we please reach out and say thank you. Thank, please thank Epic Physical Therapy because you know what they have a facility that offers the most advanced top of the line equipment, including like maybe you've heard of this, the Alter G anti gravity treadmill. That takes the pressure off your knees so that you can knees and, and joints so that you can run. Or how about the Normatec compression sleeves? Or have you ever seen the Game Ready? It's a, it's, it's a compression and cold and it takes the swelling. It's, it's amazing. I loved it when I had knee surgeries. That's just a few of the things they have. And also, they're trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available. Here's some of the things to do. And I've, I've used, I think I've used almost all of these. Blood flow restriction therapy, fabulous. Dry needling, love it. Takes the swelling out also get a little pain relief and then cupping you know what uh, if you've ever watched the olympic swimmers and they've got those circles on their back you know well that's from the cupping where they're manipulating the muscle via the skin it's cool i've had it done it's amazing how your they snap your muscles in place it's fantastic i love it look it's just a few of the things that they do, but I'm telling you, everything they do is absolutely top-notch. So if you're looking for epic relief, epic recovery, epic results, it's where I go, and that's where I think you should go to, and it's certainly where you should start when it comes to physical therapy. So why not check out the folks at Epic PT? That's EPICPT.com. That's EpicPT.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, for over 35 years, they have been serving uh, the Triangle area in North Carolina, that's Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, and the surrounding area. And you know what, though? They actually serve the whole world because they actually can match you up with the realtor, uh, the best realtor in your area that can help you sell your home or buy your home. And if you come to the 7300 Six Forks area place where they're at, you know what they're going to do? They're going to hand you a bottle of water because that's just kind of what you do. You walk through the door and they'll go, hey, how about a bottle of water? <laughs> because what they really want to do is they really want to create a relationship with you. They want to get to know you. They want to know what is important to you because they understand that your home is in fact the largest personal purchase you'll ever make but beyond the largest personal purchase that you'll ever make we also know that that is the home your home is a home where memories are going to be made or have been made and they want to get to know you and your home 
so special because it's special to you and they want to treat it as specially as you want it to be treated. So why not check out the folks at Linda Craft and team? Why not create a relationship with them? You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction and we're with Captain John Havlick, coach. And uh, we're jumping all jumping through this book and uh, I'm going to jump all the way over to chapter five, coach. And it's entitled All Hail. Supreme General Hubris is the name of the chapter, and uh, one of the right at the very beginning of it, you you say Hubris is a commanding general, the guy in charge. As Hubris builds, character and humility slowly decay, and some active ego indulgence corrodes the leader more, leader's moral foundation until it gets so compromised, so weakened, so jaded that it buckles. It is preceded by the overinflation of pride let's talk about uh how pride can get in the way and start feeding the wrong wolf well i, I think uh what we talk about and you know when i experienced you know, leadership and as you go through at least in the military is uh you get promoted you know and you get advanced and uh to positions of increased authority and responsibility but it also as you rise the chain you get more perks you know like i always say when I was a commanding officer, I, you know, I got my own parking space, which was real close to the command. You know, you get the you get the best office. You get uh, people treat you differently, uh, and you start, you know, you start getting spoiled by all the all the perks, so to speak. And and that's uh, if you start focusing on those more than you know the position of you know, yeah, you earned that all, but. You also have a job and a responsibility, and it's ultimately the mission and taking care of the people and doing what's expected of you. And when the bad wolf comes in, where hubris kicks in, is when you start wanting more of those perks uh, because of you tend to you get this and you think you're self-important. You you are the focus uh, instead of the command or the mission. Um, that's where it really gets shaded and that's where hubris kicks in and that's where the leadership killer really brings down the uh a leader well i think one of the things in your story in particular that i found really really interesting and by the way i completely related can relate to this because it 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 hurt me in a previous employment and that was i was not gonna play politics I, I, I am sorry. I am not that guy. I hate politics. I hate politics in the workplace. I am going to be really frank. I, you know, said, I am not kissing your tail so that I can get, you know, a break. It's just not what I'm doing. I'm going to just do the right thing. I'm going to, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to do it with integrity. And you know what? Everybody else, you know what? Sorry. That's just the way. And I'm just going to go do it. And it sounded to me like I, that you were kind of fighting the same thing, right? Is that true? Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, I, I, politics did me in. So I, uh, <laughs> like I said, I was, you know, you, I, you come out of BUDS training, you come out of SEAL training, um, you think you can rule the world, you know? I mean, and when they, every day you hear about this is the hardest training, you know, military training in the United States, possibly the world. And you hear that every day. You start believing it, you know, and then you graduate and, this, you know, it's a small group. And, and so you're a select few and and you get cocky, you know, but that's kind of what you want. I think that's what's great about the boot camps is there's there's a transition that or a transformation that goes because of what you have to do ultimately um, 
on the battlefield or in your job, you know, and so you have to change, you have to do that. So I, I got a little cocky, you know, especially a lot of, cause everybody told me I wasn't going to make it through. So, um, and when I made it through, I was like, well, I, sh- I guess I showed them. And, and so I, I started my career and, and I just kind of believed the old Navy adage and you take the hard jobs and you do well in them, you'll get promoted, you'll get advanced. And, and I kind of, kind of got a little delusional because I fell back on my swimming background and the beauty of swimming is uh, you get up on the block uh, with your competitors uh, there's a known distance and the fastest person wins and it's usually the person not so much has the most talent but who's worked the hardest and wants it the, the most and uh, so I that's kind of the attitude I took uh, into the Navy and as, as a junior officer and and I ignored politics and I just uh, didn't play it very well. I stepped on some toes. I, I just kind of tried to do things my way and, uh, and I didn't do it very correctly. And uh, it came back and bit me. And so what I realized real eventually is, you know, the, the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, the smartest, they don't always get advanced or promoted. It's often who you know. And uh, and I didn't do a very good job of that. So yes, it came back and bit me. Uh, and, uh, and I had to learn, uh, I eventually learned how to use it towards my advantage and help me actually become a better officer and a better leader. That, that's, that's all. I, listen, I love that because I got to tell you, it bit me. I, I, I when as soon as I read it and you brought up the internal politics and it bit me I because I just was, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm an old farm boy, you know, yep. and, you know, had gone to grad school and I'm an old farm boy and just believed, you know, listen, you just work hard. You know what? You do the right thing. You work hard. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to leave you alone and we're just going to continue to push through and darn it. We'll get our promotions based that way because we did the right thing and we worked hard. And man, did that not go over well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, it didn't. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't go over well, it, you know. And, <laughs> and that's, and, and, uh, and I, I, I readily admit this, this where my, my own hubris kicked in. Yep. And I thought I knew everything. I thought I was better than a lot of senior officers uh, that were in the teams at the time. And uh, I, I pissed a lot of them off. So, um, by my own, by my own hubristic uh, behavior, um, I got kind of, kind of got uh, what they, what they torpedoed, so to speak, if you want to keep it in nautical terms. Sure. Uh, but uh, when I got out, and I had to get out, you know, and so huge, at the peak of my career, I had to get out, you know, and I'm like Jesus, you know, what it, and when I thought back on it, I had to do a real, a real hard examination of my actions and what I did. Uh, you know, right. But a lot of it was what I did wrong. And, uh, you know, so I made it an effort that if I got back in the Navy, um, that I would do things differently and I would get smart on politics, uh, just knowing that it's out there. And if you know how to use it to your advantage, you're going to do okay. But, um, I had to get smart on it. I had to be aware of it on all my decisions. And so, uh, so yeah, it, it bit me hard and, uh, it also, it humbled me, and that's what, you know, chapters five and six are all about. It. My story of, you know, get, getting torpedoed when I was at my peak of leadership and 
but also the peak of my hubris and how it humbled me down to the lowest level, but how I recovered and I eventually came on. And I, you know, of course I'm biased, but I, I think I became a much better, better and humble leader. So, well, I think one of the answers to that for you that I think you came that you came to the conclusion, um, we'll, we'll talk about the bottom here in a second, but one of the things that you say is self-leadership prevents hubris. Yeah, you got to check yourself. You know, you have to, I, I always remember, I, I should have listened a little bit more to this guy that I worked with. <laughs> he was, he was one of the, one of the better senior officers and I should ask him more questions, but, uh, he, he kind of told me one day, uh, he was packing up his bags and going home. And I said, uh, you're going home. What are you doing? You know, we still got time to go. And he goes, coach, I looked in the mirror and I, I was able to answer that I did everything I could for the team today. And so I'm going to go home and hang out with my family. And he goes, you got to be able to do that. So, uh, you got to be able to look in the mirror, you know, and you got to honestly make the hard call of whether you're doing your job effectively, especially when you're as a leader. Are you doing the right things? Are you are you? And if and if you're not doing, if you if you are questioning your own behavior, then no doubt it is affecting performance. And folks see it. You know, leadership tends to think that well, nobody's going to notice. And I I tell you the truth. I, that's where the, that's where I learned so much again when I go talk to the sailors. They know what's going on. They see what's going on, you know, and you can't fool the people that work for you. So, um, yeah, that was it. So, uh, by the way, we're talking with uh, Captain John uh, Havlick, uh, Navy SEAL, retired. Uh, he's known as Coach. The book is entitled The Leadership Killer, co-written with a friend of the show and his good friend, Bill Treasure. We love Bill on the show. Um, we, we've had him on here. We'll be bringing him back, um, again, but, uh, he, John's with us right now and he is walking us through a little bit of his life and the things that he learned. And I want to jump to chapter six and the title is entitled leadership starts at the bottom. And you, you write in there, you say you have to hit the bottom and lose it all as lonely as the bottom is. You are not alone. You still have the two wolves. The bottle, the bottom humbles you if you let it. Talk about the importance of the bottom, bottom, but then what, what, what was that moment that flipped it? Well, uh, I got out. I, I still don't. I have a better understanding why I got out and had to get out of the Navy, but. When I got out, I was at my peak and I had loved everything I was doing, you know, and I was heavily trained and and I just done great stuff. And I'm like, all of a sudden now I didn't promote what's going on. And so I I went, I, I guess the bottom line was I just felt sorry for myself and um, just uh, was going down a dark path, you know, and uh, feeling of just self-pity and and I just wasn't a good, very good person. And then I was, I was starting to drink too much and just, uh, it just wasn't heading towards a happy ending, so to speak, I guess. And so I, I kind of had to go away and kind of just isolate and think about what was going on in my life. And I started doing little things to kind of build up my self-worth again and, um, and kind of put the value back in. Cause I can tell you when I, 
when I had to get out of the Navy, I just, I went from the top to the very bottom very quickly. And, uh, and it was humbling. And, uh, and so I would try to, I tried to stay active in the Navy and the reserves because my goal became, I'm going to get back in the Navy and I'm going to retire and I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And that was my goal. So I set a goal on myself and I'd start taking steps to how I was going to achieve it. And I knew it was going to take time and it was going to be frustrating. Uh, but the biggest thing I had to do was I'd stop feeling sorry about myself and, and wallowing and say, Hey, it happened. Let's go. Let's move on. You know, that's in the past. Learn from it. Let's use it as a, as a motivation or, uh, to get me going. And so I, I tried to check that and not think about that too much and just focus on the future and, and the positive things that I was taking to, towards getting back in the Navy and becoming a SEAL again. And, but it was, I knew it was going to take time. And it was hard. And so I just kept reinforcing and, and doing the things that put me in a better position to, uh, to do it. But when it got frustrating, you know, it was always when I do my reserve duty, uh, you know, once a month, I'd, I'd go back to Norfolk. And uh, that was, as you know, the SEALs are either concentrated in Norfolk area or San Diego area. And so I was going, you know, I was doing my reserve unit was there in Norfolk. And I would go out at night and I'd see friends from, especially from de, uh, the development group. And and they, they were like, what are you doing? And I'd tell them and they go, what happened? And I go, I don't know. And they said, well, you were a good guy, you know. I feel bad, you know, and so those little reinforcement, and this is from the guys, it wasn't from the officers, but it was the guys I had worked with and led before and, and, you know, sweated with and, and, uh, they were, they would just constantly reinforce me that, Hey, you were a good officer, you know? And so I started using those little victories in life, you know, to kind of spur me on towards the harder, harder steps of eventually getting back in, you know, and then, uh, and I got that second chance. And so I used that all and, and it just, it, uh, it, it made me better. It made, it made me appreciate when I got back in, I had been at the bottom and when I got the second chance, I appreciated the opportunity that the Navy was giving me again to be a SEAL, to be an officer. And I just used that and I loved it and, and just tried to maximize every day I could to be the best leader that I could be. And so hitting the bottom makes you realize kind of what you had and makes you appreciate what you had. And then makes you appreciate even more when you get the opportunity to kind of do it again, you know. So um, the bottom, everybody, I think uh, folks that don't experience adversity um, or the bottom, you know, they're lucky. Um, but I think that's where really true character and true leadership is is built and identified. Wow. Uh, we're talking to John uh, Havlick. Uh, his story and um, the leadership killer. And uh, John, do you realize we've been on almost an hour? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I got the clock in front of me. Oh. <laughs> so I'm just wondering when you're cutting me off. No, so. well, I mean, I, listen, it goes so fast because there's so much more I want to talk about with you, and and we're not going to get to it. And so, um, first of all, I want to say thank you. Uh, what an honor and a privilege it has been to have you on the show. Um, so thank you for doing that. Uh, the show is called A New Direction because we help people find a new direction in success and leadership in their lives or their career or their business. 
And so what I ask my friends, because you're a friend of the show, and matter of fact, I have your cell number, so I'm going to like bug you uh, incessantly. Uh, so so now you can better get... change it quick. <laughs> <laughs> so now so now now we're going to see how well the friendship really lasts uh, from there. So I ask my friends of the show, uh, you know, if you could leave the people with a new direction, uh, what would be a new direction that you would leave them with based on? Um, the book, The Leadership Killer? I just, I think the big thing is, uh, you know, go out and learn your, if you're talking leadership, I think you need, just need to go out and and learn your people, you know, and that's why, that's why I often say the best thing I ever did was the walkabouts. And I know that's hard, you know, it was easy for us as a smaller unit, but, and then, but however big you are or however small you are, you have to figure out how you can do that. But I still think it's the best thing you do. Uh, you know, be open to feedback because you don't know everything. Uh, and if you do, then you, you need to check your hubris. That's your first sign that hubris is starting to weigh in. And then, you know, it's real important to find somebody you um, have a check or a mentor or somebody that can call you out when uh, when you're uh, – your ego or your head's getting a little bit too big and they can rein you in and, but that's gotta be somebody you can trust and know that when they, when they're calling you out, it's for your own good and you need to realize that. So um, that's what I would say about leadership uh, for what's going on right now. I just say, you know, believe in the leadership, you know, that they're doing the right stuff for us. It's going to be hard and, uh, but focus on the little victories and every day and, you know, give each other, Check in on each other, make sure you're taking care of each other and, uh, you know, look for those little things that give you hope every day that we're going to get through this and uh, back to normal as, you know, what, however quick we can. Wow. His name is Captain John Havlick. The book is called The Leadership Killer. He also goes by coach. He is a Navy SEAL retired. We appreciate him being on the show, folks. That's the show. You know what I say every week? Be inspired because when you're inspired, that means you can inspire others and in turn, they can inspire other people and that can make this world a great place. I'm going to be back next week with another great show, with another great guest, with another great book. And as I say every week to all of you everywhere, ciao, everybody. confidence and the answers don't make sense you got to keep your hope alive you got to know you can survive this is your time to find a new direction a brand new day a new direction things are gonna change Dreams will take you places you have never been before Find your passion, find your strength Don't worry anymore A new direction